Okay, go ahead, Ari, and begin. Okay, hello, everyone. BC here in beautiful Oxnard, California, and we are at a wonderful place, a place I never knew existed, the Mullen Automotive Museum in Oxnard, and there are gorgeous cars here. Hello, CP. Greetings, Nick. Thank you so much, and my sincere apologies, guys, for my delay in getting here. Traffic was not in my favor. Good evening, Aden. Thank you for joining us this afternoon, or maybe evening where you are. Hello, Max. Thank you, thank you. I love bow ties. I wish I could wear this every day, but I get a little bit untidy at the office, so it's a little bit of a challenge. Hello, GT3. Greetings. Hello, Gareth. Thank you so much for joining us. Vancouver, Canada. Thank you for joining us from Canada. Good seeing you. Hello, Jason. How are you? Ah, hello, professional. Texas is in the house. Thank you so much. And for those of you on YouTube, thank you so much for joining us. I'm here in Oxnard, and what we typically do with the Beast Model Tech Tuesday so we have different places, mostly in our shop, but maybe, maybe very nice venues. And we have people who write in questions, and we answer them live. And also, questions that come to us firsthand, we take care of them. Ah, from the Czech Republic. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon from Europe. Appreciate that. Good morning, James. Hello. Boyle Heights in the house. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Yonkers, New York. Wow, you guys are from everywhere. You're in the UK. Good seeing you. Yes, nighttime. Absolutely. Hello, Insta. Hello, Puna. Uh, Vegas. Yes, I'll be at SEMA Jets with five vehicles, which is pretty cool. And as you see, there are gorgeous examples of cars here. I'll get out of your way so you can see that. Beautiful, beautiful cars. And when we're done, we'll have a nice sneak peek around the premises to see the beautiful stuff we have. Hello, Sam. Thank you. Sam, I love bow ties. Thank you so much. Ah, Sal, my neighbor. Good seeing you. Gareth. Yes, it is. Look at how beautiful that is. Gorgeous. And we're going to have a nice chap come in and join us later on to tell us all about this wonderful specimen behind me. Integra. I don't think Honda will be very happy with me doing Integras because <laughs> they don't make them anymore. Um, you know what? That's cool. I think that's a good idea. And I may just do that, you know. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Hello, Subo. Okay, so guys, as you may see, Ariana's right here behind me. Let me turn around so you guys see her. There she is, waving. So, we got a bunch of your questions coming in today. Thank you, Insta. Appreciate that. And Ari will have an opportunity to ask questions, and I'll answer those and the ones you have here. Thank you, JDM. You're very kind. I appreciate the kind words. Um, for those of you on YouTube, um, JDM just gave me a nice compliment on my bow tie. Aunt, greetings. CB7. I love a course, and the fact you boosted it, you're my buddy. Hello, SH. <laughs> Hello, Dippin' Deep. Okay, so, Ari, what is the first question we have today so far? Okay, our first question comes from professional username. Professional username, which is, is a very interesting yes. screen name. Is it worth buying the newer Cayman 981 over the older Cayman 987? And do you make a turbo kit for either? So, I'm planning, he's asking the 987 versus 981. Is the 981 that much better a vehicle? And here's my, here's my opinion. My professional opinion, if you're going to modify your vehicle heavily, definitely the 987 is much more tutor friendly, especially the 987.1, which is the port injection. But if, if you have an opportunity, thank you, I am Jose, if you don't plan on doing any heavy mods, let's say you just want to do standard header, intake, exhaust, the creature comfort and improved power on a very mild basis is very nice with the 981. But if you're going to end up going crazy with turbocharging, like you just asked about the kit, by all means, 987S, the 97.1 is ideal, you know? Um, hello, Stocky. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. I appreciate that. I probably will check your feed out. Hello, Ben. Good seeing you as well. And thank you for that question, professional. Appreciate that indeed. Okay. Okay, we have a question from AJ. 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 I don't know if he's here or not, you know? How does car insurance work for modified cars in the U.S. as a oh. car lover and business owner? Like in the UK, do you have to declare all of your mods to your insurers in order for it not to be void? Or and does it become massively overpriced as a result like it does in the UK? So it just asks about insurance, especially here in the United States, in regard to modified vehicles. And especially, I'm sure, even cars of this magnitude, which are very, very exotic and very expensive. In the U.S., you have to declare every component that's in your car if you want to get it insured properly. If you don't and your car gets into a mishap and you have to get it replaced, they will replace it with a stock car. I'm Grady Mail, how are you? Good seeing you indeed. I would love to do something with BMW, but it would highly depend on my relationship with them, which I don't have one yet, but you never know tomorrow. Thank you, Aki, appreciate that. And above and beyond that, to expand more on what AJ mentioned, um, for me, I declare 
But for my classic expensive vehicles, I use a company like Haggerty, and I do give a list of everything we do. And because Haggerty does insure classic cars and high-end vehicles, and most of those owners are very responsible, the insurance rates are not very high. So not only do you have the advantage of a great coverage opportunity and also great service, you don't have to worry about the crazy expense because most people who own those cars aren't very irresponsible. So because of that, they don't pay out too much, so the rates are very nice. And most cars of this nature, you know, the Bugatti, Hemi, and many around here, um, those vehicles are also covered by Hagrid as well, which is nice, you know? Um, well, the challenge with a fixed policy, Sal, is if you get into a mishap that is above and beyond your umbrella, you are physically liable for it, personally liable, which is kind of scary. Anyway, but uh, the DMV allows you to do that. You can even have 50000 account and use it for it to cover. But for what I do... I do insure them properly for the proper value, and I do elect to use insurance companies like Haggerty to cover me, which is pretty nice, you know? Um, Aunt Dilla, I'm going to answer that. That's a very good question, what I think about the STI and WRX. Let's get to that in a moment, okay? Um, well, adding good, that is a long, long question. Hang tight. There's so many reasons why that could be the case. We'll get to that in a moment. Okay, Ari. Um, what else do we have? We got a question from Dippin' Deep One. Dippin' Deep One has a question. Even, Hello, Fox. Even with a standalone computer, oh, how do you put a knock sensor on each cylinder for a B series? Okay, so it's asking for a B series. How do I put a knock sensor in a standalone? And it depends on the standalone itself. So I don't like to use separate entities for knock sensing. I like to use something that can allow me to do a feedback mechanism in the ECU. So that being said, um, I'm a big advocate, of course, you, many of you know, for AEM, the Series 2, and especially the Infinity. And it's a very simple way to determine knock per cylinder. So if you look at the 720 degrees that exists in the full auto cycle rotation, each of those have a window for firing order for a cylinder. If you time it properly, a knock event, it can fall within a window and can tell you what cylinder is knocking, which is very nice. So that being said, I typically use a window of 0 to 50 degrees in terms of crank rotation, and I assign that window to each cylinder. So when I see knock, I know that cylinder, and then I can assign a knock floor that's unique to that cylinder and initiate a very nice protocol to add fuel and retard timing to keep the engine safe. You can do that with Series 2, but it's not as clever as Infinity because the processing speed is not as fast. I also tune a lot of Honda data, but it doesn't allow me the ability to do that in a very nice manner. It's uh, more of a global knock sensing that's intertwined in the factory setup. But the AM is the way to go, which I love so much. Reggie's talking crap about Hedy. I should just throw her around here. Reggie's talking crap saying that your head won't fit in the screen, which is pretty interesting. That your head won't fit in the screen. But anyway, um, uh, does the check engine light come up at high RPMs? That's pretty interesting. See? See, it did fit, Reggie. Um, Oh, that's a really good question. So, it depends. Is it set up as a... I typically use a check engine light on, let's say, AM, EMSs or Infinities or Hondadas to denote a shifting need or like a shift light. You can also use it as a speed governor light to say, hey, you're going too fast. So, it depends. If you are using a factory ECU and seeing a check engine light at high speed, something else is going on, which is pretty interesting. I am well, High Classic Customs. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much. I look shocked or shocked, but I appreciate that. Hello, Flex. Good seeing you. Hope your family is doing well. Thank you, High Classics. Appreciate the kind words. <laughs> we love you too, Reggie. And we just passed by you. If we didn't have to pick up in queue, we'd come by and see you. Um, so, Jason Dorothy says his VTEC does not engage on his GSR motor. Any help? And I think we had another question about Z6 and VTEC not engaging. The number one cause for VTEC not engaging is oil pressure. So, if you have a low oil pressure event, because you have an event where you're bearing spinning, you have a challenge with your screen on your VTEC solenoid being clogged with debris, or something else mechanical is going on where you may have a turbo system and you have a leak somewhere, that could be the number one cause. So the first thing I would do is to check the solenoid to make sure your screen is clean. Above and beyond that, if your screen is clean, the next thing to check is voltage to make sure you're getting 12 volts from the ECU to the solenoid. So there's so many things that could, be, that could be happening that could cause that problem. Also, if it's something that happened with your first freshly built engine, it's possible that you have one of the pins out or one of the O-rings out in the head assembly. So there's so many things. The proper thing to do, if you're not very comfortable exploring it, is to take it to a very competent shop and have them go through it in a very piecewise approach. But a very common one, low oil pressure, which you should check, 
and debris in the screen for the BTEC Solenoid Assembly. Thank you so much, Sub. I appreciate the kind of words. You're very nice, you know? Um, so, let's see. What else, Ari? That is a question from Instala. 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 Okay. As we step more and more into the electric slash hybrid side of engineering, yes. I was wondering, in your opinion, what was the best automotive era? Okay, so it's asking now that we're going into the advent of EVs and hybrids, what is the best automotive era? You know, one thing here is I'm surrounded by so many beautiful cars where we didn't have to worry about pedestrian safety and airbags and things like that. So in terms of beauty, this is great. But I feel because I am very technical and I love technology, I feel that we are at the tip of a very nice renaissance of the automotive community. I think this is the best time to exist for uh, an automotive era. He says the 90s, but um, I, I may beg to differ because think about it now. Now we have a capability that designers haven't had in decades to have a fresh slate to redesign cars from. And what do I mean by that? Now that we have access to EV engines, which are much smaller, much more compact, have much more power, are much more eco-friendly, we now have an opportunity to not have to worry about valve train protrusions, head compositions, height of an engine. We can now have very creative induction very creative hoods, very creative front ends, very creative interiors. This is like a wonderful time to have the perfect merge between technology and design and to start from a clean slate, which is very, very, very nice. So that being said, it's absolutely fantastic to exist now. I think this is the best era in terms of style design and technology. Now, in terms of beauty, what we see here, I mean, what happened in the 30s and 40s is absolutely fantastic. The cars are absolutely gorgeous. And that's when many companies are tinkering, companies are popping up left and right all over Europe, and it was absolutely fantastic. But I like it right now, you know? Um, so, AJ, you say you, you beg to differ, but fossil fuels are really not very clever in terms of being able to allow a very conducive environment for us to breathe and for plants to reside in and so on and so forth. And I understand where you may be coming from, which is we need to use fossil fuels to power that, but there are other alternatives, and the fact that many countries are very slow to react is not the fault of the EV revolution. Meaning, we can use wind, we can use solar, we can use um, aqua or hydro to power sources to allow us to use EVs. You cannot do that with an internal combustion engine. So that's a bit of a challenge, you know? So um, that being said, um, I, I may disagree with you on that front, which is pretty nice. Um, so, yes, sir. Another question, please. We got a question from Fox Design. Fox Design, you're here, which is very nice. Do you know how much horsepower will the it OEM RT four-wheel drive drivetrain handle compared to the more modern CRV all-wheel drive setup? So, I'm very excited as well, Instala. So, thank you so much. And and Fox is asking Paul, by the way, is his name. Who's asking? Do I know how much the rear end of the RT four WD would handle. I don't know yet. I can speculate based upon what I've seen other people do, but you know how the scene is. People just do all kind of things and are not very forthcoming with their experimentation or how precise they were with putting things together. So for me, I definitely will explore that and have that information for everyone to learn from. So I'm going to play around with two rear ends on some of the projects coming up. I'm going to play around with the old school Waggle Van rear ends and also the newer stuff out of the elements. So I will keep you posted, and you will see here, and on my um, YouTube feed as well, it's pretty nice for YouTube, YouTube people, you know? Um, so Andrew Wankel is asking, I'm a fan of Pura, which I am, what do I think of its use in Mazda rotaries? So if you're to use, my thoughts are, if you have a pre-mixed fuel system, then yes, by all means, Pura is the way to go. You can see significant benefits that we see with standard piston-style engines. But if you don't have the premix setup for your fueling and you consume the oil in the crankcase into the combustion chamber or chambers of the Wankel engine, that is not the way to go because it is a very high um, uh, process uh, synthetic and does not consume or burn like an organic wood. Even though the organics don't give you the protection, for those individuals who still have a standard Wankel engine where it consumes oil as part of the combustion process, that's not a way to go. But if you premix your fuel, by all means, you'll see all the benefits of cooling, increased power, 
um, high shear stability, high resilience to heat, and high resilience to exotic fuels, which is all very important for our friends who would like to have a lot of fun with the rotary engines. Hello, Daryl. Good seeing you. Oh, my, my pleasure, Fox. Thank you so much. EJ, I didn't quite see your question, um, but let's see. Oh, here we go. So EJ says he thinks he has a blown head gasket. Uh, gray temperature goes up fast. Oh. So it's possible you have a blown head gasket, sir. So what you need to do is perform a leak down. That's what I do, and that would tell you. So to perform a leak down, I tend to take out every, in a coil plug, I take out every coil. If you just distribute, I take out every uh, um, spark plug uh, connection. Take out the spark plugs themselves. I open the crankcase uh, via the valve cover. Um, uh, I stay very the oil, the oil fill or oil cap. Then I also open up the cover for the uh, radiator. I then pressurize using a very nice tool. I have a Craftsman one, I believe, uh, that allows me to set up 100 psi for one, and then set up and zero out the other. And then when I put each cylinder up top of the center, let's say you have a standard Honda, which I assume you do. Cylinder one, you start off, and I pressurize the top of the center and take a look and see what blow-by I have, if any. And usually if I'm above 5%, I'm not very happy. But you know what happens if you come across a cylinder that has blow-by? You'll hear it through the crankcase, through the opening that you have in your valve cover by taking the oil cap off. If you start seeing bubbling inside of your radiator cap, by all means, that means you have a gasket blown and you're going into your cooling system. So I do that for cylinder one. I rotate accordingly if I'm doing a valve job. Then I go to cylinder three, then four, then two. And that's succession. And you will find out, which is very, very sad if you do. But you know what? It's not so bad. It's better to catch it soon before you start warping stuff. So, okay. Um, yes, Ari, what other questions do we have? Got a question from AJ. AJ, another good question. Hello, Maria. Okay, so that's a multi-part question that uh, AJ has. He's asking, do I do any track tuning for people or have a tuner other dynos? And the answer to that first part is yes and yes. So I do quite a bit of track tuning for, for both road race and drag race teams, and I've done much more of a drag race, but in the past when I used to do a lot of drag racing, but recently I do quite a bit of it in the road race arena and do some track support. Secondly, I have used money dynos. I love my dyno. I use the dyno pack, as many of you know, because it offers me so many advantages over an inertia dyno. I can not worry about safety issues by not having to strap the cars down, and I can have a direct cog to the hub, which is nice. I can hear, which because I don't have tire roar, I don't have issues with tire growth, I don't have issues with a car that has a slight alignment by scrubbing power away. Um, above and beyond that, I can do partial throttle tuning by locking the RPMs for any particular gear and varying throttle and tuning partial throttle, which most of us drive in. Um, I have the capability of doing so many things. I can see the axles and what they put out on each side to know if we have an axle bind issue that we need to be addressed. But that doesn't mean that I don't have the, um, the capability or opportunity to tune on other dynos. I've tuned on Mustangs, I've tuned on Dynapacks, Dino Jets. Um, I even have some charts for my own engines from Dino Jets as well. I don't prefer them, but I can tune with them. And even my good friend Daz, who's here from Pro Phoenix, um, he's seen me tune with other dynos across the pond as well in the UK. So we've done quite a few things with that. Now, when it comes to track support, there, I look at many major parameters. Um, I look at every, fuel ratios, number one, because many a time, we have cars that are tuned on the dyno, and they end up running lean on the track, especially if they have some kind of ramp air system. Or if they were tuned on the engine dyno, taken to the track, and the parameters inside the engine bay are different from the parameters that were existed, or the conditions that existed on the engine dyno. And this is particularly true with ITB setups. Because when they tune ITBs in an engine dyno, it's usually on an open atmosphere, and then when they put it in the confines of engine bay, Waves do tend to pulsate against a firewall, and that changes things dramatically. And we're going to track all kind of crazy things happen. So AFR is one I look at. Ignition timing, throttle position, knock is extremely important if the EC has the capability for that. And guess what? Looking at the RPM over time gives you a good idea if the person has good adhesion on the track, which was nice. So that yes, I was. <laughs> I was much younger. Yes. So that being said, um, by all means. Those are some of the key parameters I look at. Vehicle speed, everything that I can get as much data on. And I help people with their fueling. I help people with initial timing, especially if I see a lot of knock. And what's even more importantly, for those who drag race, I look at traction significantly. 
So if there are ways that we can either initiate a touch control or a slew rate control, I can then, based upon the data from the track, allow them to get better elapsed times by addressing those accordingly, you know? So, that being said, I hope that answers your question properly, AJ, and I look forward to more from you. Um, good question. Do I think the Honda killed the Type R? Absolutely not, Jason. I think Honda did a smashing job. I'm pleasantly surprised what they do with the Type R. And above and beyond that, we were privy to the Type R launch three years before it came to the shores here. We were privy to, uh, I and a very small group of people were privy to the prototypes of those. And then prior to launch, Honda flew myself and the team out to uh, the Homestead Raceway in Miami. We had access to six Type R's and six SI's, which we tracked for two for a full day to provide feedback. Hello, DJ. Good seeing you. So that being said, one thing I noticed about Type R is that it really handles so nicely. It doesn't feel like a front-wheel drive. I mean, you say that it's ugly, and that, that's a matter of opinion. You know, styles of cars, even what I sit in front of here, is open to interpretation. It's like music. Some people like rock and roll. Some people like rap. Some people like R&B. Some people like classical music. Some people like jazz. It's all taste. And the Type R is done well for Honda, and a lot of people like it. Now, I like the exterior. It's a little bit too busy. The interior is a little too loud for me, but I can still appreciate the technology that's there. So that being said, it's personal taste. And that's the beautiful thing about the tuning market. If you do pick up a Type R because you love the performance and its heritage, by all means, you have the capability of tuning it and building it to your taste, which is very nice. Thank you so much, Lex. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much, Riley. I love the Odyssey as well, you know? So, Juan says he's trying to learn how to tune his car, his Mazda MX-6 on Megasquirt. What is the best way to learn how to tune it so you don't blow it up? That is a very good question, and it's one that I experienced myself. I had tuners blow up my cars, and it forced me to be able to learn how to tune. And what I did was read as much as possible. Um, and now you have access to great tuners like ourselves. You have a lot of videos online. I also am a huge advocate of the EFI 101 course. That's a good way to learn the basics of tuning and to get your feet wet. And I would encourage you, don't do it on other people's cars. Learn on your own and take a conservative approach. Contact the guys from EFI 101. They can register you in the course and it's very, very pleasant. And that's what I would recommend, you know, which is nice. Um, so Gareth, you know, like I said before, it's, it's, it's a matter of interpretation. I love the old school Type R's as well. But I also can appreciate the new Type R as well. They're different. They're not the same. Um, both of them needed more power. So the old Type R and the current one needed both, both needed more power, in my opinion. And it's a good opportunity to be able to explore that indeed. So that being said, I like both. But um, the new one is a little busy interior for me. The red is a little bit much. I would turn it down myself, but I like the car, you know? Um, Pro Phoenix, I met him in the United States. He came here as a client and we became very good friends. He just visited my facility once when I was in Chino Hills. I think our facility was about a 1,500 square foot uh, place at the time. It was very nice. Iris gave me the look. You know that look she gives me when I don't answer questions? Iris <laughs> gave me that look right now. Okay, so Ari, what other questions do I have? You got a good question. She, 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 she really disciplines me very well. She's very good. Okay, yes, Ari. Question from Adam Bendev. Adam Bendev, yes. Is there any specific manufacturer that you have been waiting to work with that you haven't yet? If there, is there a manufacturer that I've been waiting to work with that I have not yet? Um, there are a couple of them. Lexus. See, I was saying Lexus, because she, she loves Lexi. Is it Lexi, Lexuses, Lexuses, Lexi? Lexi? Anyway, um, manufacturer that I would like to work with. Uh, that's a good question. I don't have a relationship with BMW yet, and it would be nice to work with them. And I don't have a relationship with Subaru. Um, he says Jaguar. I, I knew that you'd say that, Daryl. I knew you'd say Jaguar. Or Jaguar, as you say over there in the UK. Um, their presence here is interesting. You know who I really would like to work with? You know who I really would like to work with? And they're not here yet? Is uh, Pujo. So Pujo, they were in the United States and left, but they're not here. If they ever come back, I'd be more than happy to work with Pujo. I love their cars. That's the first car I had was a Pujo 504. It was very nice. Ford, Lance Truck, I've worked with a Ford. It was a really interesting experience. VW, I guess the fact that I work with Porsche to some extent is kind of close to that. But definitely BMW, I have not. I don't have a relationship with them yet. Um, Alexis is Japanese Mercedes. <laughs> that's what it's just said. Uh, Ari's laughing. I don't know if that's a laugh or, or, or not a laugh. Yeah, Porsche's cool, DJ. I, I like those guys. 
Pujo. Or in my country, they say Pujo, Pujo, which is weird. Anyway, okay. So what else do we have, Ari? We got a question from Dr. Amit. Oh, Dr. Ahmed? Ahmed. Ahmed. Hello, doctor. What a lovely 57. But yes. is it an original or recreate or recre re recreation? Or is it an aerolith? Okay, so I will not steal the thunder about that question, doctor. So hang tight. I have a specialist that will be here soon and he'll talk all about it, which is very nice. So hang on to that question. We'll get to it soon. Um, oh, Dylan is asking <laughs> air cool cinder temps. What is it? Too hot? It depends on the metrology. So if you're talking about Harley, Porsche, it depends on which one. Um, if I start getting to head temps 550, 600 Fahrenheit, I start getting really, really worried. Super worried. That's when you start breaking down things. It's not good. Hello, sub. Yes, Nigeria. Nigeria, for sure. For sure. Okay, how are we doing so far, Ari? Good. Uh, question from CT Racer. CT Racer. Alfie. Alfie. How do you feel about the new 917, 917S? Will you be offering for parts and tools for these in the near future? I know the old school 917s, and they're awesome and very expensive and hard to find. Nothing in the works for anything new from the 917 or 917S. I will be playing around with a 981. And one S's, which is very nice. Um, so we'll be playing around with that quite a bit. So, oh, I, there you go. AJ, you made it. I answered a bunch of your questions. So you have to watch it here on Instagram for 24 hours. Or better yet, go on my YouTube feed, which I think you subscribe, and then see how I answered a lot of your questions. They're very good ones, too. I really appreciate them. Ah, oh, CP said hi, AJ. There you go. AJ, you are very popular, which is nice. I'm here in Oxnard, California, in this wonderful museum. The cars here are ridiculous. It's just it's like I'm in heaven here. It's gorgeous. Anyway, uh, what would I do on 918? On 918? Oh my God. So 918 is really cool because it's, it's technology I like. It combines the advantages of an internal combustion engine and merges it with a hybrid setup. So I would, of course, address some of the shortcomings in the internal combustion engine. And then I would get access to the inverters on the hybrid side and crank out more power. Externally, in terms of aesthetics, I would not touch a thing. I really like how that car looks. It's very elegant. Um, even the wheels from factory look really good. I wouldn't do much, but definitely internal combustion engine modifications and also the EV system. I would address as well. You know, um, Juan has a great question. He says, building a motor on a budget, what would you say is the most important, to least important, in NA four-cylinder setup? The most important is the cylinder head. Period. The key to making power using atmospheric pressure is the cylinder head period. So I would save up, invest properly in internal combustion engine head, and that's the key thing, saving up. You know, I talked about uh, not too long ago, um, or I think a couple of sessions ago was about holes or something like that. I was thinking oh, funny. Yes. And what I talked about is that you can't expect someone, a lady who's not very pleasant, to become a good wife and mother for your children. You can't expect a whole to be a housewife. It's the same thing, you can expect cheap parts to be able to do the job and create a reliable setup for you. So by all means, save up, get a proper head, port it, appropriately polish it, get a proper competition valve job, invest properly in induction, because everything has to work together, an exhaust manifold and camshafts. That's the way to start. Also, as you build this car, you have to protect it well. So using proper oils with high zinc is very important. So I use Purell because it's absolutely the best compound I've ever seen. I've tried everything out there with a sure stability and protection, and I've beat up on things and had problems on track, and my bearings and camshafts were still very good. So I'm very, 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 very pleased with that. The least important are cosmetic. So when you start polishing valve covers and powder coating them and etching on them, that's not very important. If you start coating your intakes um, with Stranic coatings where it doesn't really do much, that's not important. Um, I would say, let's see, what else? Uh, really more cosmetic stuff in it. It doesn't make you go faster at all. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, thank you so much, 17 Gen. Appreciate that. Um, okay, AJ, you're just being silly now because you know how I feel about, about those pistons. So, Del Grant is asking, uh, any reason why I like Boxer flat motors 4.6? I do because they're very balanced. You know, the, the inline four engines, which we all are very accustomed to, inherently introduce a lot of vibration, which is quite unfortunate. But the flat engines are very balanced. You don't even need a damper. They really oppose themselves very well and help very, you know, in having a very, very 
balanced and very stable platform. So I like them a lot. Pineapple, hello, sexy. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. So Pineapple is a good guy, a good friend of mine, and it was a previous sponsor of my CRX years ago when he was in Southern California. He defected to Nevada now, where he can have a lot of fun and do crazy things. But um, yeah, he's a good guy, you know? So, the limit of a stock K24A66, oh man. AJ, you know what's crazy? You can break a stock six speed on a K20A2 with a factory power. You can break it with a header, which is crazy. That third gear is not strong. This fourth gear is even weaker. It's, it's not a strong gearbox. I'm a huge advocate of changing gears out. Hell, I love, I love, when it comes to K-series, I love sequentials. So that, that's my take on it. Okay, how are we doing, Ari, so far? Very good. How many more do we have? We have four more. Okay, good, good. Let's get to them. Okay. Uh, question from Benjamin Ryan Moeller. Yes. Given your four-cylinder history yes. and your affinity for boxer engines, what are your thoughts on building an F820 out of a BRZ or FRS? Okay, so he asked about an F820 out of a BRZ and FRS, and guess what? I think it's great. I think those engines have a lot of potential. The, the combination of port and... Direct injection gives advantages that are painfully obvious when get good economy and be able to have the opportunity to tune very nicely. But I feel that a lot of tuners out there are not exploring the full potential. I would go crazy on that engine. I just don't have a relationship with Subaru or Toyota at this time. So that being said, if I ever explored it that time, remember that SEMA we went to and there was tons of like BRZs and FRCs everywhere, everywhere? Well, I didn't apply for one then. I should have because I want to win crazy on that engine. It has a lot of potential. Thank you so much, Dale Grands. I appreciate that. And I saw a question asked about the Mission E. I think the Mission E is awesome. It's Porsche's take on the EV car. And you know Porsche, they're all about the driving experience. They're very keen on engineering. I am going to buy one and go to town. I love the Mission E. So all I need is for Ari to give me lots of money, and then I'll be able to go buy Mission E right now. Otherwise, I have to save up my pennies and make sure I get one, but it's, I think the style is great. The name is a Taycon, Taycon, I don't like the name, but the Mission E concept, I love it. It's fantastic. It is the future. Anything that allows me to have immediate torque at one RPM is an advocate for me. I mean, I'm an advocate for it. I love it. I'm, I love it. It's great. Fantastic. You know? Um, is the Auto, RSX Auto Gearbox any good for racing? Yes, it can be good for racing if you stay at very conservative power levels. But if you love rowing gears and love the driving experience, um, an H pattern is the way to go, or better yet, sequential. Yeah, so, that is great. Um, thoughts on the VR engine configuration of Bugattis? I don't have much experience with that, AJ, so I don't have any input on that. I'm so sorry. Um, everything, everything else but the Mission E doors are amazing. Yeah, you remember, so I don't know if you're referring to the initial concept that had suicide doors, but the current production models won't have those. It'll be standard doors and those. But still, I love, the I love technology, you know? Um, hey, pros and cons on my B-Series header. The pros are it makes a lot of power. Um, the pros are made of very good materials. Um, the style is very, very nice, and that's why people knock them off so crazy. Um, the cons are that there are knockoffs out there which don't make the power that they're supposed to because they're imitations. You have to wait for them because I have to have them made individually. And some people don't like the price because they're very expensive, but they're custom. So those are some of the pros and cons of the BC Motor B-Series So I hope that helps, you know. Um, E30 or NA Miata for track build? Ooh, I like both. E30. E30. I'd go with E30. It's very nice. So thank you. Okay, Ari, I think we have three more. Yes. Questions from AJ. AJ, I get to one of your questions. One thank you, SD. One. Thank you. With highly restrictive laws in California regarding modifying cars, yes. why, did you, why did you decide to set up shop in Ontario rather than more lenient states in the Midwest of the East Coast? So, AJ asked a very good question that the fact that I modify cars like crazy, why did I choose? Hello, Pablo Rubin, good seeing you. Um, he's asking why did I set up in California <laughs> instead of more lenient states in terms of emissions and being more tutor friendly like Texas or Maine or Minnesota. Well, my parents went to school here and loved California and I came and followed suit and as I stayed in California, I really loved the car culture here. I mean, did you know that there are more Porsches in California than any other country in the world? Except for the United States because California is in the United States. <laughs> there's so many cars here that there's, and then if you think about the media, progressive people, um, just a melting pot. It's just great. I just love California. It's, it's 
And where I reside is so convenient. And AJ, I'll tell you this, which is really cool. So I live in a city called Hacienda Heights. It's very nice. And I'm an hour from everything, literally. I'm an hour from the desert. I'm an hour from the mountains for snow. I'm an hour to the beach. It's very convenient. I can have any climate I want within an hour. I can go to Big Bear and I'm there. I can go to Mount Body and I'm there. I can go to the... Wow, I can go a little bit towards Rabbit Lake and go to the desert. I can go to the beach. There's so many beaches. I mean, you heard of Santa Monica, Venice, um, Long Beach. It's just great. It's just so convenient. That's why it's so expensive to be here. So because of that, it's a necessary evil that we deal with a lot of craziness in terms of cost. But I do. Oh, Sal said I shouldn't tell people the secrets. Yes, Sal, California is great. It is expensive, but it is very convenient. And you know what? We love working hard. We have a good time here. And it's a melting pot. You get you get immersed in different cultures and different people. And it's just really nice, you know? So it's really nice. Best exhaust system for an Integra GSR motor, in my opinion, custom. A custom exhaust system using like a Burns muffler <laughs> or a piece of more pulse chamber or something like that. Um, I, I'm a huge advocate of custom units. And I, it's cool having, you know, mass-produced ones, but I, I like custom stuff. So, how many more? Two more or one? Two, Two more. Okay, let's see what we have. Uh, dip in deep one. Okay, I think I have a good question here from Anna. Let me get to Anna's question. Why did I choose an Ionic? What do I think about the new Velocity that's coming out and the Velocity N that's coming out soon? So Anna, I like the Ionic a lot. So I love the interface that exists with their their connectivity on the dash. It's a very clever system that accepts both Android and Apple Play, which is really cool. It is in my opinion, the most attractive, cost-effective hybrid. So there are hybrids out there from Toyota, uh, but they're not very attractive. They look like spaceships. I don't like that look. In my opinion, the Ionic gives me the capability of having great gas mileage. I fill up every two weeks, and I drive a lot. Literally, I fill up every two weeks. In California, gas is expensive. Standard unleaded, I think I spend like 30 to $32 to fill up, and I drive for two weeks, and it's very comfortable has a leather seat with the heated seats. It gives me so many creature comforts and it looks really cool. And of course, in normal fashion, I have a wing on it, I have a splitter, I slammed it, but it's really a nice, comfortable car. So in terms of Veloster, I think the new design is way better than the initial first generation. It looks really cool, still has the three-door application, and the N, not as fast as Type R, especially in a straight line, but has some very nice European cues that I find very appealing. So I think it's going to give many enthusiasts an opportunity to have a lot of fun with a car that's cost-effective, not break the bank, but also give them some very nice performance capabilities. Um, I didn't tune one this year because I'm really slammed with crazy projects, but don't be surprised if I put one together very soon. I, I, I like those velocities indeed. But I hope that answers your question, uh, young lady, and uh, if you have more, I'm here to answer them. Thank you so much, guys. I saw a thumbs up. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. Um, second gen Chevy Volt, I think it's cool. I, the Chevy Volt is cool. You can drive forever without even touching a drop of fuel, which is very nice. But the styling, I like the Ionic better. It just looks, the Ionic looks more European. I like that. And the Volt looks kind of stale to me, you know. Thank you so much. I'm out here in beautiful Oxnard at the Molin Museum. The people here are so nice, and when we're done, we're like 40 minutes into this interaction with you today. I'm going to walk around and show you some really, really cool cars, which is pretty nice. Um, oh, I'll be more than happy, Savage, to help you tune that. If you can wait a little bit, we'll make it happen. Okay. So how are we doing, Ari? Okay, we got a question from Dippin Deep One. Dippin Deep One has a question. Regarding spring pressure and seat pressure, Yes. what's too high versus too low? Okay. What determines what's best for my application? I got a GSR head and I'm about to go to Port Flow. Okay. Doing stage one BC Moto Cam, okay. but also plan to turbo this very soon. Should I put a, a 95 seat pressure or even higher? He has a lot of questions, so it depends. Um, so he's asking about seat pressure. What's too low, what's too high? Open pressure, what's too low, what's too high? And this is where you rely on the cam manufacturer, in our case, us, with the BC Moto Cam shafts. Um, and also the spring manufacturer, and we do quite a few springs ourselves, whether it's us, whether it's Supertech, whoever you use, you have to rely on their expertise to get you going. Because one thing that you don't want is float and bounce. I'll repeat myself. Float and bounce. Floating is where your valve has a very uncontrollable motion 
by ski jumping off the tip of the camshaft when it comes in rotation. Bounce is where the seat hits the valve, and instead of the valve just closing and allowing for a good valve event, it hits and bounces off. And that typically happens when you have low pressures as well. Now, here's the other caveat. You can throw a lot of pressure at it, but what ends up happening is you start scrubbing away power because it takes energy to overcome the resistance of a very heavy spring. But when in doubt, you want to go heavier than lower because what happens in a low application where you have a very low seat pressure and low nose pressure, you have two things. Your horsepower falls off rapidly, and in a worst case, you can drop a valve and destroy your engine. While with high seat pressures, you can have unlimited wear onto your valve train, and most of the times when you have very heavy springs, you don't have a lot of play and you can have fine very easily, which is pretty crazy, you know? Um, so that being said, uh, oh good, I'm glad to great that I got you away from task stuff. It's not worth it, it's not worth it at all. Hello, Leo. So that being said, for us, 95 is actually okay, um, but it's more than just pressure. So the materials of the spring is very important. I highly encourage if you're using Visa Motors valve, valve train, being the camshafts and, and valves, that you do explore ours, which is pretty nice, you know? So that being said, you should kind of take advantage of the experiment we've already done and use the Visa Motors valve springs, which can last you for hundreds of thousands of miles or more. But if you have something very unique, you do want to talk to the manufacturer to find out what they recommend. And if ever in error, go heavier than lighter. But bear in mind that bind can be an issue, which is pretty interesting. You know? um, so, what weight am I running? So, George is asking, he's looking for horsepower gains on Stek Miata, interested in aircraft oil that we use, which is the Purell, which is aerospace. I was talking to Matt Perrault on the spoken tire. What weight am I running? So, on the car that I drove today, which is my Ionic, I run 020. On my Drag Race Insight, I run 530. On the Porsche, um, the standard air-cooled ones I have, I have 1040 on those. And then my twin turbo application Porsches, I run 2015 those. Also in the 2012 Civic, which is a crazy aluminum rod motor, makes about 1,000 horsepower, I also run 2050. On my Odyssey, I run 530 on Odyssey, which is pretty nice. My clearance is very, very tight on that engine. Hello, Iken, Nakeru, Kekime. I hope everything is well. Good seeing you. Good seeing you. And are we good on questions or we have one more? We have the doctor's question. Oh, the doctor's question? So we have a gentleman who's going to answer the doctor's question in a moment. But let me see what we have here. When building ahead and building over time, in what order of the parts do I buy? Well, first thing I do is port the head. <laughs> For me, I port the head and get the most reliable flow possible. Then I design a camshaft. And why I'm doing the camshaft? Because springs and retainers come into play. And then as that happens, definitely when the head's getting ported, I explore larger valves. And that's when it happens when it comes out together. Leo says, hi, Ari. Hi, Leo. I think we lost our doctor, because we have a doctor here who's going to talk to us about the cars behind us. So I'll try and grab it in a moment. So let's see. To answer our other doctor's question, what was the doctor's name again? Do you remember his name? Okay, I'll find out. Okay, let me try and give you attention. He is taking some photos. Yeah, try and grab it real quick. Um, someone's calling me and they shouldn't. And now I'm blank, of course. Sorry about that, guys. I got a call that came in from Minnesota. I don't know who's calling me from Minnesota, which is interesting. Um, good, good, good. Yes, I did speak good, to you. I speak to you very well. We're doing door prize drawing at this point. The first ticket is, the first item is for one the ticket. here. August 4th at the Mullins Automotive Collection in West L.A. And the winner is Ralph Gitwitz. Ralph won, yay! If you are in the museum, please come to the front. So guys, there's a very nice giveaway that's happening right now. But I have a very special guest here, so forgive me. I, I, can you see me properly? Everything is good? Okay, I hope you guys can hear me and see me properly. So I have a blank screen because someone called me during my session. And they We're drawing for another ticket for August 4th to the Mullen Collection in West Los Angeles. And the winner is Jim Mitchell. Jim Mitchell won. And he just recently became a Mullen 1000 member today. Congratulations, Jim. Hello. Okay. So, guys, I have a very special guest here. The next drawing is for two <laughs> semi-private tour tickets. <laughs> Please join me. Those are Hello, Dr. Rick. Good seeing you. Good to see you. Okay. Yes, excellent. So, we had a question from a physician in the UAE. And he's asking about that Bugatti right there. If you're and in the museum, please come Or is it a replica? 
I don't think my fans know what a bespoke car is. Well, a bespoke car is where you would, if you had money, you would, uh, in the 20s and 30s, you would go to the Grand Salon Automobile Paris. And that's what we try to create here. Something to make you feel like you're going back in time to the Grand Salon. And all the names up here in the top are just like you would see in the Grand Salon. There's a picture of the Grand Salon up on the far wall. And you would just not go and say, I want that car in blue. Understood. You would buy a chassis, a Bugatti chassis, a Delahaye chassis, a Delage chassis. You know, a and then you would go after you bought a chassis to a designer, a Fagoni, a Salcha, a Henri Chapin, you know, a Paro, uh, and you would go to them, shop around, and say, "Here's the chassis I have, and uh, what can you do for me? Design me a car." Right. Nice. So they would then design you a car based on your own artistic proclivities, how you're going to use it. You might design two chassis or two bikes, a summer truck, a truck. How nice is that? <laughs> The wooden Hispano Suiza that you see in the front of the museum in the 1920s is the summer body. Oh, very nice. So, and then after you would uh, have the body designed, you would search out another artist, a carrossier, who would actually build you. Because these are artistic endeavors. To these are not stamped out. Okay? These are all hand built. And then you would find someone who did the leather, the material, the paint, and so on. So we call it, so you said, this book car. So we were trying to kind of demonstrate, Peter wanted to demonstrate what a bespoke car really was like and show people that how the process took place. So we have this chassis. So he wants to build a body for it. So now sure. he needs a designer, right? Of course, see? yes. But Mr. Mullen happens to be on the board of the Art Center College Design. There you go. How <laughs> convenient. And so he went to Stuart Reed, who is the manager and the director of the transportation program at the Art Center. And he says, I would say, here's my hallucination. <laughs> I want to get a bunch of your students together, right. eight little groups, and I want them each to design a body for this car, and they can come and use our archives to get the kind of historical information. So we had eight different bodies designed by eight teams. Of the wow. And it might have been seven. I don't remember exactly what it But when they looked at them then, and they had this kind of competition to see which was the best one, uh, they liked them all. Uh, the, the judges, but they thought they were just a little more modern because the kids, the students are you know, thinking more. Oh, so, yeah. Not back in 1930. So Peter took the best of the, each of the signs, put them together in kind of one piece, and then Stuart Reed and Peter put some of their own kind of ideas to it to make it reflective of what would be the evolution from the Atlantic. So, okay, now you have a chassis, and you've got a drawing. 
and then they do all the engineering of mechanical stuff. Now you need a Ferrassier. Oh. So he shops around and he finds the metal shaping corporation uh -huh. And he gives them the contract to build that body wow. for that chassis. But he has a caveat. You cannot use any technology that is not around in 1939. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that made it pretty easy. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, that would be very challenging. Very challenging. And the way you build these cars is you build, I can use this as an example. You use one piece at a time, one small little piece of metal, and you shape it, and then you build another piece. Well, in order to do that, you need what's called a buck. If you look behind the car, oh, you yeah. will see a wooden buck. That buck mm -hmm. was built by the Art Center College of Science. Are you serious? And if you look, you can see a right rear fender. We had an extra fender built, so you can see how they would use wow. the buck to shape that fender. Very clever. Yeah. So that car is, like almost all cars here, is a patchwork quilt of all these small pieces, in this case, aluminum. And if you go up and look underneath the car, we didn't paint it, so you can go up and see all the welds that hold awesome. all these little patchworks wow. together. Now, the amazing thing about that car is that it's much, much better than probably any of the cars in here originally were, because that car was never going to be painted. So you can cover up a little bit of stuff. Even today, they put body Of course, of course. So that car was designed to be shown perfectly, just like it is. Probably the best body in anything we have in here. And it's also designed with interior strength so we can lift the body off the car and actually show you that beautiful door aluminum chassis with the car suspended. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thanks for the great question. <laughs> oh, no worries. Yeah, the gentleman just said, um, uh, how many years after this car was built did you... What? <laughs> He's being silly. He's being silly. Um, he says, great people, a blessing to humanity. Keep it up. Very I think they're talking about you. <laughs> we love the look of older Bugattis. Very wow. nice. Yeah, we do as well. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so My much. Pleasure. Appreciate that. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. So guys, what a great treat. So what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to go ahead and walk around this wonderful facility and see what we have. Um, Jason said I should come down to Hunter Fest in Connecticut next year. You know what? Maybe we can do that. We can do that indeed. William, that was a very naughty question to ask. That was very sad of you. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for interacting with me this afternoon. I appreciate your audience. I'm going to come out close the feet down and come back in and we'll walk around and see what wonders exist in this wonderful museum. Thank you so much guys. Take care and have a great one. Cheers. And hello Pino from Extreme Dimensions. I appreciate you guys. See you soon. Cheers.